Let us pray. Almighty and most gracious God and Father, we implore you to turn the hearts of all who have forsaken the faith once delivered to your church, especially those who have wandered from it or are in doubt through the corruption of your truth. Mercifully visit and restore them that in gladness of heart they may take pleasure in your word and be made wise to salvation through faith in your Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. All right, so uh, tonight we're going to finish up the cult uh, part of the denomination series. And uh, that'll finish up the whole denomination series, actually. And next week, we're going to start on Christian marriage. And we'll go probably a couple weeks on Christian marriage. I don't know what all exactly I want to cover yet. I haven't... I haven't read the chapter ahead in the book uh, to see. I thought it was um, the role of women in the church uh, next, but I, I looked today and it's it's marriage next. So we'll do marriage next. And then uh, for to start off the role of women in the church, there's a documentary I want to show, but that's okay because that'll, um, I'd like to kind of announce that for a couple weeks and Maybe we can boost our numbers a little bit if uh, people think they just won't be listening to me and <laughs> if uh, we invite, invite people to come watch a movie. So um, uh, that that's kind of the plan. Go. Yeah, we'll have some popcorn. Be good. Uh, so that's kind of the plan going forward. We'll do marriage for a couple weeks and, and see how that goes. And then we'll do the, uh, fe- the documentary on feminism and uh, move on from there. So uh, tonight in the cult section, uh, there's different things we're going to talk about. And we, we had kind of said, remember, that a lot of the things we're talking about, um, Mormons, Jehovah's Witnesses, Unitarians, Christian Science, uh, all these things claim to be Christian. And that's one of the dangers is that they uh, can bring people who are weak in the faith or who are uninformed in the faith and they can say, yeah, we're, well, we're Christian too. You know, we believe in Jesus. Uh, we believe in the Bible or whatever and uh, get people confused and and put in false doctrine into, into their lives. And so uh, that's a little bit of a danger. Uh, however, uh, what we're going to start with tonight, actually there's a few things to wrap up on Jehovah's Witnesses from last week. But what we're going to start with tonight and a few of the other things we're going to do are a little broader, um, but they are cults that are common among us, and there's really no other good place to fit them in. So we're, we're going, going to go ahead and talk about things like Scientology and Freemasonry uh, tonight as well. So um, with that said, there was a couple questions last week that I hadn't done enough reading up on on the Jehovah's Witnesses. And that was uh, kind of where they came from, and then what's their worship like. So uh, where they came from is, is pretty interesting. It's kind of a conglomeration of things that we've already talked about. But um, if you remember with the Seventh-day Adventists, we had what was called in, the, uh, in some of the Christian revival eras in early, earlier America, we had the Christian Restorationist Movement. Uh, which was this idea that we're going to uh, re we're going to recreate the early church. We're going to go back to the Bible, back to the uh, back to truly Scripture alone, and uh, back to what what Jesus intended for the early church. This restoration movement, um, and so then they got weird things like uh, you know vegan diets and. Um, and uh, Sabbatarianism and all, all that kind of weird stuff. Um, and re- remember we said the problem with the restorationist movement is, well, restored to what exactly? Uh, your interpretation of what the Bible says, for one. Um, so we always have this kind of interpretation problem of, okay, well, whose interpretation of the Bible are we going to go with for this? And then, uh, two, we, we don't know exactly what the early church was like. And... Three, you're just picking and choosing things out of the early church or what you say was the early church uh, to do. So anyway, um, the Jehovah's Witness uh, in the 1870s, this uh, Christian restoration movement was kind of going on. Um, 
And there was a guy by the name of Charles Russell, uh, Charles uh, Taze, an interesting middle name, uh, Russell. And uh, Charles Russell what got caught up in this uh, Restorationist uh, Adventist movement. And so like the Seventh-day Adventists uh, who have similar roots, he... Uh, got very caught up into when we talked about eschatology, if you remember, premillennial views uh, and specifically in focusing a lot on the book of Revelation and on the book of Daniel and uh, kind of the end times prophecy obsession. And when you combine the Christian restoration movement with that kind of Adventist uh end times prophecy focus uh what you get is um a person who's going to be very very intense about believing certain things in the book of revelation um that they have to that and and it's kind of funny because the book of revelation is kind of one of the books of the bible that's when we talked about eschatology remember is less clear and what we should do is use the more clear books of the bible like say matthew uh to help interpret it but instead he said no this is we have to be very specific about uh things in the book of revelation and he did his own personal study of revelation uh that led to a lot of the doctrines that the jehovah's witness believe about like say the 144,000 and things like that um and so that's kind of where the doctrine came from is uh and, and also, if you think about the Jehovah's Witnesses being, um, as we said, uh, Arian, uh, her, um, from Arius, uh, heretics, um, that's one of the claims that they'll make is that, well, the really early church, the true early church, uh, believed that Jesus was created. They didn't believe that Jesus was uh, eternally divine, begotten of the Father from eternity. And so it's this kind of combination of the restorationist, the pick-and-choose restorationist uh, type of history combined with, well, what I think the Bible is really getting at based on my own personal study and kind of throwing history out the window in that sense um, and leading to this completely new uh, thing that's not even recognizable as traditional Christianity. And uh, so that's kind of where it came from. That was the 1870s. Uh, with with Charles Charles Russell, um, as far as their worship goes, they um, the basic rundown is that they have uh, a what they call meetings, and they have weekend meetings on Sunday. Uh, they I think Sunday morning, uh, where they'll have um, one of the elders uh, or an elder or like a leader in the congregation. Uh, talk for about 30 minutes about, I guess, whatever's on their mind. Uh, <laughs> not exactly sure. I couldn't get a very clear understanding of this, but um, they'll kind of a sermon, I guess, uh, or a testimony for about 30 minutes. And then the, the, the more interesting part is that they'll spend an hour doing a Bible study, but all the Jehovah's Witness churches, it, it seems, uh, will do the same like the same Bible studies out of the Watchtower magazine. And so it's kind of this centrally controlled um, quote-unquote Bible study that's like question and answer, it's guided, uh, that, that they're all supposed to do and kind of keep them in lockstep, uh, which, is, which is kind of interesting. And, and you can see in that that they're, they're not really comfortable just saying you know, uh, we're going to preach the Bible. You know, they have to preach the Watchtower magazine. They can't just preach the Bible, uh, which, and, and when they do preach the Bible, right, they have their own special translation that they use, uh, which takes verses out of context and changes verses around like we talked about last time. Um, and so you can really see a lot of deceptiveness there. The other thing I was thinking about, and I, I have not thought this all the way through, but it seems like a lot of these kind of uh, more heretical uh, denominations or cults or whatever you want to call them, uh, the Mormons, the Jehovah's Witnesses, 
the Anabaptists, uh, you get the, the kind of, even the, especially the weirder ones um, that are just, you know, more out there. So the Amish are more out there. The Jehovah's Witnesses are more out there. Mormons, uh, Seventh-day Adventists. They all, they all seem to have a very low view of the pastoral ministry. And that, again, this isn't something I've thought through. It's something I just realized when I was reading about the Jehovah's Witness worship, that they don't, you know, they don't have a pastor, really. They have um, just elders who will get up and randomly talk for 30 minutes. And uh, that, that's something I, I want to think through more about what caused that. But, it, I mean, my initial thought is that Jesus institutes the office of the Holy Ministry. I mean, he calls disciples... Chooses 12, trains them for, you know, three years, uh, ordains them to, to forgive sins and to administer his sacraments and to be stewards of the mysteries of God. And um, we, we talked about, we had our section on pastors in the office of the Holy Ministry already in Lutheranism 101. So as Lutherans, we know uh, how important this is and... You know, I, I don't talk about pastors to uh, toot my own horn. Um, in, in fact, it's, it's only a humbling position for me more than, more than anything. But I, I will say it's just interesting that when you don't have... It seems that when a, a church does not have um, a ordained pastor and then when a church body and its doctrine does not have a clear articulation of the doctrine of the office of the ministry that things do tend to go awry um and i I think it's just kind of the like i said i need to think through it more but the lack of maybe lack of leadership or the um the 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 way that the doctrine is carried on so it's true that lay people can can certainly and should certainly, uh, you know, test the doctrine and and uphold the pastors who are preaching, and um, make sure that that what's being taught is always in accord with God's word. But it it also seems to me that just naturally the preachers, the ones inhabiting the pulpits. Are going to be doing the grunt work of making sure that everyone's upholding right doctrine, right? And what what seems to happen is that with some of these things, like with Jehovah's Witnesses, for instance, you get a low view of the office of the ministry. There are no pastors study constantly having it be their job to study God's word and to make sure that what's being preached is the Bible. And then you get kind of a on top of that, you have what's kind of a started as like a personality cult where one guy had his ideas, and then those are just kind of continued by a central organization that that uh, then tells everyone what what's right and wrong. And you know, the with the LCMS, you really don't have, like, I don't have anyone ever breathing down my neck telling me what I can and can't preach. I mean, I could, I could start preaching uh, crazy, you know, something crazy, and then someone could call uh, the district president, and, and, you know, things might, might happen like that. I mean, and that does happen. Like, sometimes pastors do go off the deep end for some reason in, in the LCMS, and people find out about it, and there's processes to take care of that but it's not this kind of like chokehold organization where we're all in a hundred percent lockstep it's it's a a unity that exists based on the doctrine right based on the fact that the the pastors go to seminary and they 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 get a rich education in which they learn um, not just, you know, kind of what the talking points are, but we learn the Greek and Hebrew to study God's word carefully and then do that week in and week out uh, from, 
the Bible alone. And then it naturally holds together because the basis of the unity in the LCMS is not, you know, the Lutheran witness and us all agreeing on what the Lutheran witness says every month. Um, But the basis of unity in the LCMS is that the preachers are going to preach the Bible. And the basis ends up being God's word then. So, again, I'm, I'm kind of spitballing there. I'm just thinking through this. But the importance of having uh, pastors who are confessional, that is, that we hold to a certain... And, and that, that also goes to the Lutheran confessions, which we've talked about before, that, that we uh, swear to hold to a certain confession and preach nothing but the Bible, uh, that creates something that is far superior to these to, to what ends up you know being a cult if you uh, kind of get rid of those those bases for fellowship anyway yeah go ahead so if they don't go to any kind of seminary or anything like that how do they know who, who are going to be the elders does somebody just get up there's probably some sort of election uh, there's probably rules I mean I don't uh, I didn't like I mean, read too much about that. This, I know they call them, uh, the Kingdom Halls, yeah. Kingdom yeah. Yeah, and I'm pretty sure Kingdom Halls are all owned by and and planned by like the central organization. I don't think like in like here like we own this building like the 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 organization the 501c3 organization that is beautiful Savior Lutheran Church. Um which has its, well, anyway, the the organization is Beautiful Savior Lutheran Church. We have a mortgage with LCEF, and we own this building. You know, uh, I think Jehovah's Witnesses, like the Jehovah's Witnesses organization, owns all the Kingdom Halls. So, it's a it's a lot more uh, centrally controlled in that sense. Same thing with the Mormons, I believe. So, uh, yeah, yeah, pretty interesting. And I'm, and I don't know how they decide where they're going to put one and how they're gonna. They probably send mi- certain missionaries, and then, of course, everyone's supposed to be a missionary to some degree. And uh, yeah, it's a it's a whole thing. Um, all right. Anyway. Um, oh, and then they also do have they don't so they don't do like um, you know Christmas or Easter things like that. We talked about that a little bit. Um, they do have a once a year memorial of Christ's death. And because they're like restorationists and kind of premillennials, um, they are somewhat into the whole uh, obsession with Judaism as far as like being that. I mean, it's just this it's kind of it's true with some Baptists, too. But uh, this general milieu within American evangelicalism and within some of these like with the Seventh-day Adventists and stuff that. You know, Jews are like the pre-Christians. They're like more real Christians than we are, or something like that. Um, and so it's based on like a Jewish calendar uh, or he, like a Hebrew calendar that they determine when they think you know Passover should be. And then they have a uh, big memorial service where they like offer the Lord's Supper, but it's I mean it's obviously not the Lord's Supper since they don't even believe Jesus is divine, but um, they offer like a memorial meal with bread and wine once a year. And I think this year it must have landed close to um, our Holy Week because I remember the driving home after Good Friday service and uh, the uh, Kingdom Hall over there on Bluebird was uh, packed and they had like parking attendants. And... Um, Oh yeah, if you uh, take uh, that, yeah, the first right up here. Yeah, Curbo, that's what's cool. Yeah, like Craft Road in '78, basically. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was like packed, and so that I, I realized like that must have been what they were doing, is having that memorial service. But I guess I was reading it. I don't know why, but like most most people don't partake of the meal because they're like they don't feel worthy or something. I don't know. It's weird. But um, they they do offer this memorial service. Up. 
Right. There you go. Yeah, it's crazy. <laughs> um, so that's the rest of Jehovah's Witnesses. Um, any questions on that? Any more questions on that? Yeah. Yeah, they, uh... Yeah, and that tends to be how it is. I was, um, I, I'm, I'm working uh, with the, with my, my Board of National Mission nomination, or, well, it's not a nomination anymore. I've been appointed, but um, with the Board of National Mission and then with um, uh, my, a friend of mine uh, who's working on starting some church planting things, I've been helping out um, look for some future church planting sites and I've been doing some demographics for for that and um, anyway I was looking today at different uh, you know potential sites uh, and that when you look at religious landscapes it, it is pockets like that's how things go is that you'll get like one or two or maybe three different church bodies or even you know other interesting things whatever cults or or whatever uh will be successful in like a given like let's just say zip code you know and so um it just depends on like yeah where you're from where you've lived you know what things you're you've been exposed to because it you know basically be like you know 60% 60% of people in this area are religious, and uh, of that 60%, like 70% of those are Baptist, 30 per, or 20% of those are Catholic, and then 10% is just a like very small churches, you know. So uh, that that's just kind of how it goes. Is you get you just get pockets everywhere of different things. So that so that actually makes sense, uh, and. Most people are going to not mo- know most most things. Most people are only going to know, like, oh, yeah, I know about this. Or, like, I have a cousin who's that, so I know about that. But then otherwise, like, I know, like, these three or four things. So um, that, 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 makes, that actually makes a lot of sense. Um, okay, so Scientology. Uh, Scientology does not at all claim to be Christian. But, again, like, we're not probably going to talk about, like, modern American cults that are popular nowadays. Again... So we'll talk about this now because it does kind of claim to be a religion, and I'm positive that people who grow up Christian and who uh, think they are still being Christian get caught up in Scientology. Uh, and I'm also including it because sometimes people will hear the term Christian science, which is the Marietti spiritual healing thing, and then get that mixed up. Uh, but Scientology is a little bit different. So Scientology – actually, it's a lot different. Scientology was started by a guy named, you might have heard this name before, L. Ron Hubbard, in the 1950s, uh, had a couple very popular books. He was a science fiction author to start with, um, and then, actually, I didn't write it down, but he had one book that was uh, very popular, and in which he described this uh, theory of his of uh, Dianetics and basically what Dianetics claims to be is this way of self-fulfillment or self-actualization basically a therapy um, like that you would you know you'd go to a psychologist for talk therapy for you know cognitive behavioral therapy well this is a different kind of therapy to help people become who they're really meant to be is, is what it claims claims to be. Uh, now, on the surface, that doesn't sound that bad. And, you know, a lot of people are always, like, looking for meaning in life. Uh, this is how people are. And so it gets uh, 
portrayed as this kind of just way to, you know, become who you are. You, there was a, I, th- I think I saw that they had a Super Bowl commercial um, in January that was, it was very well put together and it was basically an advertisement to take a leap to, to uh, become who you could, you, you know, fulfill your potential type of idea. Um, very self, it's a practical way to self-fulfillment. So that's kind of what Dianetics claims to be on the surface. And uh, the pro- so one initial problem with that is, is, first of all, you have to remember that everything is religious. And when we're talking about who you're meant to be, well, you're meant to be God's child. And when we're talking about finding meaning in life, well, that goes back to the, that goes back to the first commandment. Uh, you shall have no other gods before me. Because when you're talking about finding meaning in life, really what you're talking about is uh, what what's my God going to be? Am I going to find meaning in money? Am I going to find meaning in uh, my pride? Am I going to find meaning in somewhere deep inside myself? Or am I going to find meaning in God and his word? And so the the first commandment covers this. You shall have no other gods. We should fear, love, and trust in God above all things. And so if you're going to seek uh, your absolute meaning and fulfillment and self-actualization in life through something other than God and his word, then that's already a idolatry. Um, so, so first of all, that, that claim is wrong. Um, but then it, it goes on to make more overtly religious claims, which are biblically wrong. So uh, it claims that, Dianetics claims that we have multiple past lives um, that basically you need to like work through uh, to achieve what they call. So there's a lot of kind of terms that they'll throw out here. Uh, achieve what they call clear, which is where you've uh, you know self-actualized, where you've gotten to this place of fulfillment. Um, and what you are is a spiritual being that's inhabited, inhabited uh, who knows uh, how many you know, past lives and physical bodies. And now you're trapped in this physical body. And so you're going to kind of work through those. Um, and the, the, the process of Dianetics and the working through of your past lives uh, through this kind of therapy... And I think it involves some machinery as well as talking, um, hooking up your brain to things, all sorts of stuff. This is all called uh, what they call auditing. You need to kind of audit your spirit. Yeah. The auditor. Right. Yes. So uh, it's this this whole interesting thing and then um i mean it's it's obviously what we would call uh to be to put it kindly malarkey um and it was all developed by the science fiction author l ron hubbard well what they do is one like i said they advertise it as this way of self-fulfillment and um, they can be very, very tricky. Actually, so I'll tell you a quick story. Is uh, there, you know, I'm kind of into like nutrition and 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 uh, different kinds of exercising and health stuff. I like to to you know research some of that and and try different things. Um, and one of the things that I that I found very helpful for me for me personally is the the ketogenic diet, the keto diet uh, that I've done variations of a number, number of times and there's a doctor on YouTube who his name is um, shoot Eric something I'll remember anyway uh, and he he advertises some he, he kind of does some keto stuff and um, talks some about like supplements and just like different kind of health stuff that I'm interested in. So sometimes I've watched him and I've gotten some stuff out of it, which I don't think is even wrong. But then at one point he recommended some book 
and I was like watching this video and I recommended some book about like helping clear your mind and I was like that sounds a little odd and so just like you know I just looked it up and it was like an L. Ron Hubbard book and I was like oh my goodness he's a Scientologist and then I like was researching it and uh, he's gotten in trouble before because he you know has a business he runs basically a health business that they'll give you some just like general health advice on the front end but then you know he really wants you to buy into to get you into the Scientology and uh, he's been sued by employees before uh, that were like Christians that got that thought they were just you know kind of working for this naturally minded he's a chiropractor I think and they were working for this more like naturally minded health professional and uh, then he forced them as like part of their training to read L. Ron Hubbard and to, and to go through auditing if he was if they were going to keep their jobs and um, yeah, what was his name Eric so anyway, I just stopped watching him because no it's not worth it right so uh, anyway but yeah they they they'll they'll try and trick you into this stuff so um, but I mean I think what all of it is comes down to is uh, I mean well one it's demonic because it's a false religion uh, but but secondly, it, it's about the money. I mean, they, people pay to get audited. And um, it... So does it clear their mind? <laughs> yeah, it clears their wallet. That's what it does. It clears their wallet. Um, and the, uh, the other side of the money thing is the... I mentioned... Um, earlier you know we're a 501c3 well they claim to be a religion um they say they're a church it's the church of scientology yeah. and so they get this 501 this nice cozy 501c3 status don't have to pay taxes everything's a charitable donation people pay for this therapy and uh then they get uh they get you know rich yeah go ahead uh super bowl ads you got kind of expensive yeah like, yeah, I would think so. So, it's it's crazy. Anyway, um, they've also get really good advertisement um, from Hollywood. There's been uh, a lot of Hollywood people who have been caught up in this. Uh, what's the Mission Cruise. Impossible guy? Tom yeah, Tom Cruise. Uh, Tom Cruise is like big into this, and then, the, uh, yeah, yeah, that's right. Um, they all got caught up in that, and and that. And in a lot of ways, that's like free advertising for them. There's also a lot of accusations that they've gotten involved in like deep state government stuff and like tried to infiltrate the government uh, with their people. Um, and I don't, I don't know about all that. I did watch a documentary on Scientology that was, I remember it was really good. It was HBO documentary. Uh, it was in college, and I don't remember a lot about it. Um, you could probably find it, but.
But that makes sense because it's that whole machine and, and going farther back and deeper. It's like yeah. there must be more to you. You must have other things. Yeah. And then at some point they know everything. And it wouldn't matter if they knew everything about me or any of us. The people with a lot of money or a lot of power and a lot mm-hmm. of things well, and I think it is also like, like I said, it's about money and and it, and it's about power, um, and in that sense, it's also like I said, it's all demonic, because what is I mean, what does the devil want to do? He wants to accuse you, right? That's that's what demon or that's what devil means is accuser, and so uh, the devil loves stuff like this where he can basically keep you in your sin, um, and. And there's no absolution, right? It's just uh, making you go deeper and deeper into yourself, further and further away from God, and uh, you know, taking your money and taking your your soul along along with it. And uh, yeah, I really, I mean, I really do think all this is is rather demonic when you get into it. So um yeah that so if you know anyone i mean that gets caught up in this if they start talking about oh yeah i got you know this new therapy and then you know be sure to yeah be sure to warn them um yeah and i don't know that's unitarian right yeah the anyhow but what you can do is you can go i mean i i think i i trust trust y'all enough that you're not going to get too caught up in this but if you go to their website i mean just look at the advertising and the quality of it and kind of how they portray themselves it's it's a uh, very um interesting and like like i said uh berg eric berg that's the guy's name um i'm pretty sure that's what it is uh that that i was watching um that yeah some of the stuff he just it's like hey yeah you know this is how vitamin D can can help you sleep better, and then then all of a sudden it's L. Ron Hubbard. Yeah. And if I like, and if I didn't know who L. Ron Hubbard was, you know, like I knew right away because I I knew who L. Ron Hubbard was. Um, I'd have been like, what's this book about? You know. So it's it's really uh it's really something. Nineteen fifties. Yeah. Yeah, he was a science fiction author. And made it up for the whole idea. Like he was a writer. Let's just see how far I can take this if he will actually buy it. Yeah. And then he just went on. Apparently there was no end. Yeah, it's it's crazy. That's really scary. Yeah. Yeah. Alright. So that is a true cult. Yeah, yeah, it really is. Um Yeah, half truths. That's how the that's how the devil always operates as half truths. Um, and that the, the half truth with Scientology is that people do want to clear their conscience. Now, the way to clear your conscience is by the forgiveness of sins by the blood of Christ, not by Dianetics, right? So um, that's how that's how that goes. All right. Uh, so two two more we can we can get them done we got we got five minutes for each of them. Um, Salvation Army. Now this one sounds kind of weird if you hadn't heard of this in religious context before, and I I honestly didn't even think about it too much. I've known several people who Salvation Army. Yeah, and uh, the that little denominations book that CPH published that I gave copies to some of y'all. Um, if you want another copy, there's I think there's some more in the hallway. Um, has them listed and so then i did some more research on them but uh basically it was started by this guy named william booth and he was a methodist minister who uh said we got this problem of we have christianity which is good right we got the gospel but a lot of people don't want to come to church and so he said, "What what we're gonna do is start a uh, what he wanted to do is start this organization 
to get people um, not to not to get people to come to church, but basically to to kind of go take church on the road to people. And uh, so Salvation Army does actually make a lot of religious claims, um, basically Methodist doctrine as far as. And then if you think about Methodism, remember, uh, it's about methodically working your way to sinlessness, right? To, to uh, kind of what we call progressive sanctification, where you're, you're trying to become a better and better Christian. And so uh, that was his idea is, you know, at, we're going to do this organization where we're going to um, be an army. It's the, the image is that you're like an army marching forward. And, and you're going to become better and better Christians. But they didn't they, – they, his thing was we're not having any buildings. And so that's kind of an issue when you're at church because that automatically gets rid of the sacraments, right? So you're not meeting together to baptize or to, to have the Lord's Supper. So um, it's just kind of about preaching. And then the preaching, because it's uh, very focused on this – hyper methodism you could say maybe uh is all about um service to the neighbor becoming a better uh christian as far as like good works like serving people and it's not really about justification right it's not about the blood of christ for the forgiveness of sins and so that kind of morphs into what we think of as the the salvation army today where it's this or all it's known for is an organization for civic good and you know it might do civic good Okay, so we're not, like, denying that. Like, the Salvation Army might do some civic good, but um, it was actually started as a way to kind of be an alternative church uh, to traditional church for people. And um, they have actually started uh, some church buildings uh, and, and have some services, but... Um, I'll, I'll, get, I'll get to you in a second, Steve. Um, when they do that, when the few they don't have a lot, but when they do have a church building that they'll invite people to if they get into the organization and everything, um, it's at most maybe some Bible study and testimony and and some music, but it's really not what we think of as like traditional church. And so that's the danger is that it's it can be advertised as this kind of replacement church for people. Uh, and then really what they're about is, well, they have the counseling services and other social service programs, um, and that's all, that's all fine, but then you really, at the end of the day, like, where's Jesus, you know? You don't need Jesus anymore. If It's just about this being a social justice army, basically. And what, what is interesting with that term, social justice, that I just used, is... You know when they when they he started in the I think it was the 20th century sometime. Uh, you know it was pretty conservative and I, I think they they have a history of like they didn't let gays in or something like that that they got now now like in modern times they've gotten in trouble for and now they've kind of changed their tone and you can see how just like the Methodist Church has um, has kind of become more and more liberal as time goes on because if it's all just about serving your neighbor and loving your neighbor well that's basically turned into just approving of whatever your neighbor does and when you don't have the word of god and jesus at the center to keep you uh foundation then that then that's kind of what it turns into um and the whole concept uh conceptualizing as an army thing is is kind of interesting too that like we're gonna march forward, and we're gonna uh, we're gonna save the nation. We're gonna save the people. We're gonna uh, you know be the kind of military force of the Christian Church uh, in America. It's just kind of a weird thing um, that that they they tend to focus a lot on um, to get people rallied up to do this kind of mission. Um, so I would say that if you want to give money at Christmas time for your, that, you know, as far as like the practical, practical issues that we're going to face here, 
You probably don't know a lot of people who are trying to use Salvation Army as a church. But if you want to give money at Christmas time, uh, just give it to the local food pantry or give it to the alms at, here at, at church um, or give it to an organization that, that you know exactly what they're doing with it and what purpose it's serving. Um, having looked through the Salvation Army website pretty extensively, I don't really know what all that money does, you know. And, uh, you know, I, it's nice that old guys want to ring the bell. Are they uh, all the members of the Salvation Army? Uh, I think they're at least volunteers. And that's the thing with it. It's kind of loosey-goosey because it's like, I mean, it's not. Are there always the ones who go when there's a tornado and set up the little thing to give coffee? Yeah. Well, Salvation Army does. They'll work with that. Yeah, they'll work with stuff like that. So, I mean, like. They usually say Red Cross usually makes you pay and Salvation Army gives it free. Yeah. Right. And uh, I, it's because it's not like a traditional church. They don't have like membership roles per se, um, but it's just kind of getting you to be um, a thing. And I think that's really the trick for Christians is that it, it's almost saying that, hey, if you, um, you know, if you ring the bell or if you go and serve these people. Now, obviously, there's a good Christian urge to want to serve your neighbor. But if there if it's kind of this way to say, hey, yeah, now you're a real Christian. Now you're really, you know, earning. Now you're really earning your salvation. Um, then, then that can be dangerous, you know, for the soul. And it, I'm sure it depends on who you know in it, and as far as what the claims are that are actually made. But as far as the history of it goes, is basically supposed to be a kind of replacement church where you don't you don't have to go to church every Sunday and do all this. You can you can just come out and serve your neighbor and so it's all works yeah it's just all works works righteousness based steve did you want to say something earlier yeah when you were saying about the church buildings in the late 90s they built a brand new building at uh, getwell and winchester uh-huh and because i used to drive by there to work all yeah time. just down the road from where our old location right. for our church was so and they built that about the time we moved here to olive branch so I've lost, you know, I don't go by there anymore. As far as I know, it might still be there. Mm-hmm. But I thought it was a pretty big building just for their their band to play, you know, their Salvation Army band. It might be like a warehouse. Yeah. You know, the, the Salvation Army is on perfect with it. There's a big church and a big resale yeah, store sure. there and a donation drop site. And I think a lot of the things, they, the people that volunteer are recovering alcoholics and uh, addicts. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's what they're hoping. Yeah. Yeah, and it's like all that's great, but then if if you're, we have to we we just have to be clear of what what we're doing here. Are we trying to, um, are we are we just doing some civic good work and and trying to help out where we can out of Christian love, which that and that's great, um, but or are we uh, trying to share the gospel of Jesus Christ? And I think a lot of people think that, um, you know, clothing the homeless or uh, feeding the hungry is the same thing as sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it's not. Uh, Sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ involves actually the preaching of the word, right? It involves uh, conversations and preaching and sharing about how there was a man 2,000 years ago who is God, who became flesh for us and took on our sin and went to a cross and died and was raised again on the third day, and uh, that by faith in him, uh, you can have eternal life and salvation. And that, that message, like, that involves, you know, words. <laughs> it involves, uh, it, it, it doesn't just involve, um, you know, doing some civic good work. And civic good work is good, and it and and it can actually open up conversations like that, right? Like, I mean, if you uh, volunteer at a food pantry or something, and you're able to build relationships with people and then share the gospel, that's great. But our end goal should not just be it. With the Salvation Army, the, the issue is that the end goal is the good works. The end goal needs to be heaven, right? That's the end goal. And so, if you're not uh, 
connecting people with... If, if you're saying that what we're doing is sharing the gospel, and then you're not actually connecting people with real Christian churches, then you're not really sharing the gospel. Uh, you're, you're leaving out the last and most important step of all of that, right? Um, now, of course, yeah, love, loving your neighbor um, is Christian and right and salutary in that way. I mean, Jesus says, when you've loved the least of these, you've shown it to me. So, obviously, we should do that. But we also need, you know, baptism and the Lord's Supper and all that stuff, too, you know. So, that's kind of the issue there. Um, as, and, and William Booth basically said, I'd rather not have all that other stuff. I'd rather just do the bells and the clothes and the, and the food. So... Um, all right. Any other questions on that? Okay. Uh, so, so yeah, like I said, as, and as far as practical issues go, I mean, if you give Salvation Army money, it's probably not the worst thing in the world. Like, they they do do some visible good. Um, I, I'm just always uncomfortable giving money to an organization that large because I don't know where all it's going. Um, even if I can see a few things here and there, I'd rather give to something local that I know exactly what what it's going and that it's helping people that I I know and I'm around, you know, uh, or that I could meet in theory. Um, so so anyhow, um, the next the next thing finally is uh, Freemasonry. And I've let my marker dry out here, but. Um, let me, let me grab another marker here. So, Freemasonry is one of these tricky things that claims, just like Salvation Army, to um, most of the time just claims to be kind of a civic organization. And the more, even more so than Salvation Army, Masonry uh, does make uh, religious claims. And uh, probably the, the biggest uh, thing that, or, well, there's multiple things that they deny, but um, we'll just uh, start with the Trinity, is that uh, they deny the Trinity. They, they basically say that God is a, a supreme being. And this is a painting with a broad brush. There's different types of Masons out there. And not every Mason actually believes in this. But so, so, so basically what happens is that Masonry says there is a supreme being. And that um, you have to believe uh, in a supreme being and you have to live a decent life. Eh. Try again. So you have to believe in this supreme being, and you have to live a decent life uh, to to get to um, into what they call. So this is uh, you know kind of lodge, right? Is another word for masonry is. Um, being in a lodge, a, a Masonic lodge. Um, well, to get into what they call heaven is uh, the celestial lodge. So the heavenly lodge. If you want to get into the heavenly lodge when you die, uh, you need to believe in a supreme being and you need to live a decent life. Now, uh, as you probably know, masonry involves levels and... Um, or degrees, and as you move up in the degrees of masonry, uh, you find out more of the kind of mythology, or what I would call religion, of this supreme being and what it means to live a decent life and so on. And um, as you move up in that kind of definition, so a lot of a lot of Christians will start out as Mason and and say basically, you know, hold to both at once and say, yeah, I you know I believe in God and I think we should live a good life and i believe in heaven and that kind of matches up um but then as you get deeper into masonry 
then you get explicit denials of the Trinity and explicit denials of uh, Jesus uh, being divine. Um, And uh, then also, really with the whole decent life thing, an explicit denial of justification by faith alone. Because you have if you have to uh, do good works to get into heaven, right? You good good works are, are what get you into heaven, so um, or into the celestial lodge, which is not even you know heaven. And so um, uh, masonry is, I, I think, by the time you get into it all the way, is uh, when you go deep enough in, it is a false religion, um, and that's that that's ultimately why. Uh, the LCMS has always said that uh, you can't be a member in good standing in an LCMS church and also be a practicing Mason. And it that's rough because that, that has caused problems in churches uh, and pastors have to deal with this because a lot of people are born into it and their father was a Mason and their grandfather was a Mason and mm-hmm. it's expected of them and their family and um, all these things. Yeah, Gary? Yeah, so then that that gets into so there's other those are just kind of the doctrinal things. There's other issues with it as well, which is why the LCMS has again always said membership in lodges um, and there's other kinds of lodges and secret societies as well. Um, Masons. What, what are some other ones? Yeah, Eastern Stars. Uh, Shriners. Yeah, stuff. So, uh, they're, they're all kind of similar in this is that they they function in the same way of having uh, religious beliefs and then what Gary's getting at is also uh, rituals or ceremonies um, that uh, are religious in nature and as Christians you know we believe body and soul are connected and if you're going to participate in a religious ritual you're making a confession there about what you believe in your heart and the state of your soul. And um, you can you can Google and find out what different people have come out of masonry and said they do and what, uh, d- what um, rumors are about what different rituals they do. But it's there's pretty clear evidence that uh, um, they perform religious rituals. Of various kinds uh, that when you go up in the degrees um, and of course the, the probably most like well-known conspiracy theory is that once you become like the highest degree Mason you have to take a pledge to Satan which I don't I don't know if that's true or not I mean or like to Lucifer or something uh, I and I, I don't know I don't know how true that is but um, that's that is something that that they say. Now, I will say that um, historically, there's two different types of Masons, and they're both bad. One is better than the other. So in Europe, where Masonry started, uh, what's called uh, Continental Masonry, it was explicitly started as anti-religious or as a as an as an alternative religion um, in European countries that were Catholic. And it was basically started as a secret society to undermine Catholic political influence in Europe. Uh, that's that's continental um, masonry, and it's revolutionary in nature um, and liberal in nature. So uh, whenever you kind of see conspiracy theories about Masons and about how Masons are involved in this li- politically liberal thing or that politically liberal thing, that's like from continental mi- masonry um, – that and like you know there's um conspiracy theories out there and when i use the term conspiracy theory i know i've said this before i'm not using that derogatorily because i've read the bible and i know that there are such things as conspiracies uh you know namely like when the sanhedrin got together to figure out how to kill jesus (laughs) you know was a conspiracy and to theorize about conspiracies existing in the world is not weird or bad it's uh conspiracy theory is often used as a derogatory term i think there could be conspiracies i i just need to know what evidence there are for different conspiracies right so um there are conspiracies out there about how masons have worked their way into royal the royal family and 
what influence they have over things. So there's the continental European revolutionary liberal masonry, um, which is very like politically minded. In America, when masonry developed in America, it uh, existed almost as the opposite of that. So in America, you have religious diversity um, to some degree from the start. I mean, generally it's you know Protestant Christianity, but you still have this kind of disparate Christianity in America, um, and uh, Masonry started in what what's called Anglo Masonry. So you have Continental Masonry in Europe. Anglo Masonry started as this more um, fraternal uh, kind of um, community civic organization uh, to to have men get together and organize um, kind of frater- fraternal relationships and and community organization uh, in in America in you know kind of earlier America and. They were explicit that um, these more Anglo Masons. They were explicit that you must believe in the Christian God, um, and that there was not actually like political talk allowed. It really wasn't like for revolutionary. Now um, the the issue still exists because um, they still have their religious traditions with the supreme being and the divine, the decent life and the celestial lodge. And the rituals still exist in Anglo-Masonry, uh, which are what well, even if people get kind of far in and believe in um, still you know still say that they're Christian, they believe in the Christian God, and they might be sincere in that. Uh, that is what we'd call at the in the best case we'd call it syncretistic, where basically you're trying to synchronize. Uh, you know, Christian religion and then Masonry, on the other hand, and try and kind of have them, you know, have your cake and eat it too, right? And um, that that is still a problem, even if someone is still a Christian and, and a practicing Mason. And so, you know, my advice is, is don't be a Mason. Uh, and don't let your Christian family and friends be Masons either, because it it is ultimately not... Christian and they do make religious claims and it's syncretistic. Uh, that said, like I don't actually believe that, especially with Anglo Masonry, that uh, so like the Olive Branch Lodge. I I've talked to someone who is a member there, and they're, they're not a member of this church, and uh, they were like, yeah. It's basically a bunch of old guys who get around and, you know, eat donuts and drink coffee and, and uh, you know, just, just talk uh, or whatever. And it's basically dying, too, because there's not this in, – in our modern society, we don't value, like, fraternal relationships, and there aren't a lot of fraternal societies left. And um, so it's like – Everyone there is like above the age of like 50, you know. Like there's not, they're they're not bringing in the young people anymore uh, into these fraternal organizations. And so anyway, the but like all of the guys that are members of the Olive Branch Lodge are also probably members at some random Baptist church in Olive Branch too. And they they probably don't. None of them have probably sworn allegiance to Lucifer. I don't I don't think. Um, I say this. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, so it'd be interesting to know what rituals he had to do. Because, and again, like the Continental Masons, uh, like, I think it's the Continental Masons that with the 33rd degree is when you, like, have to pledge allegiance to whatever. And the Anglo Masons, it's it's different. Um, 
I have to find his books because I yeah. kept most of his books that he had. And uh, but he really believed in uh, he, he he knew the Bible. He believed in Jesus. Christ. Yeah, yeah, and I be- I believe that. Like I like I said, I've known. I think I've known you know people who are in the Masons that are are fervent Christians. It's just. But I think back then, my dad was born in 1903. Yeah. So I think back then it was a little bit different because you had a lot of presidents were uh, yeah. Masons and things like that. So I think back then it was a little bit different than what I would say it is now. Yeah. Yeah, and it, it, it and I guess it has it, it it certainly has varied as far as like what lodges get um, kind of do what rituals I'm sure and what what religious claims they make and how strictly they hold to that. Um, but as far as just kind of the what's on paper, um, it's, it can definitely be syncretistic and, uh, and, and, oh, the other thing I was going to say too, is that different churches like Baptists and Methodists and Lutherans, like have had different takes on like what should be allowed in the church too. And, and Lutherans have always come down and just said, let's just not do it. Just not do it. You know, you don't need to, I mean, there's no like, and if you want to have a fraternity of men, like you can form that in the church. You know, you don't need to have this secret society. Yeah. They were, you know, in the office club, they were really big in the office club. I was in the office club. And there were a lot of them. They were really good workers. All those people were. Yeah. Especially the community. You know, they, you know, yeah. They well, and it can, it can kind of be this deceiving thing, too, with the, uh, like with the Mormons, you know, in, in the Mormon community, like you when you get these men who will get together and, like, really take care of a community and um, take care of each other and make sure everyone's taken care of and, uh, you know, do work hard and get a lot of stuff accomplished. It's like, yeah, that's respectable, right? And like I said, today we don't have any kind of fraternal organizations, um, not only organizations, like, but uh, just like relationships. Like men don't get together and this is kind of what I'm trying to do with the men's group to some degree. Um, is not start a secret society, but uh, but uh, you know build a, a camaraderie like fraternal uh, relationship where there's a sense of like a, a a a community of men that can you know serve a purpose um, which which men I think need like men need to feed off each other in that way. And uh, that simply is not given to us in our society today. So, anyhow. All right. Well, that wraps up all of our denominations. So, we'll switch gears next week and start talking about marriage, biblical marriage, Christian marriage. And that will transition smoothly into the differences between men and women and, and the role of men and women in the church and so on and so forth. So, All right. Let's close with a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for all the good gifts which you've given us. Uh, we pray that you'd keep us fervent in the truth uh, by your spirit. Uh, keep us steadfast in the word and help your word to be the basis of everything that we do in our lives. We pray this through your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.